Welcome. If this is your fast, if, fast, if this is your first uh, Sunday at church in a long time, I'm really glad you're here. Maybe you're just exploring who Jesus is. You've come with a friend. You've come with a family member. I'm so glad you're here. Um, we are on week number seven in an eight-week, uh, eight-part series um, on, entitled Loved. We're looking at what Jesus has to say about identity, sexuality, and gender. And our core message for the series is this. You are the beloved of the Father, that God loves you so much. 1 John 3, 1, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we would be called children of God, and that's what we are. And if you were here last week, we started what has become a little two-part mini-series within our eight-week series on gender identity and gender dysphoria. Last week, we looked at some terms. We looked at some statistics. We listened to Andy Britnell's powerful story of what God has done in his life. And we looked at how, when we follow Jesus, we're called to receive our body as a gift and to thank him for the gift that we've been given. And, uh, and that, that the word compassion is important uh, when it comes to this topic. Compassion for all people who are struggling with their gender identity. So today, we're, it's part two. And so we're going to keep the conversation going uh, in a message entitled Gender Identity and the Gift of the Body. And there are three things I would love for us to see today. I want us to see goodness in God's gift of the body. I want us to follow Jesus faithfully with our body and to practice the compassion of Jesus in his body. I want to say those again. So to see the goodness in God's gift of the body, to follow Jesus faithfully with our body, and to practice the compassion of Jesus in his body. If you're new to Jesus, he refers to his church, his gathered ones, as his body. So how do we live that out with the compassion of Jesus? Uh, A quick note to parents, if you are new, and maybe this is the first time you've come here and you have your kids with you, we will be covering some heavier topics. So today's maybe not the most appropriate Sunday for young kids. Now, as we dive into our scripture for today, we are going to be in uh, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So feel free to take your Bible out to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We, uh, we, pick up uh, in a letter with Paul. Paul is a missionary. He's a church planter. He's been establishing churches throughout the Mediterranean, Jesus worshiping churches. And he comes to a city uh, called Corinth, and he spends some time there. And later on, he writes a letter to the Corinthians, um, those living in Corinth who are Christians. And they had been taught um, a false belief about life and about God and about the body, and it's called Gnosticism. We're going to look at it a little bit more uh, later on today, and we've looked at it a couple times already in the series. But Gnosticism had influenced the church there in the city of Corinth. And the, the teaching, Gnostic teaching, had a very low view of the body, a very low view of the body. Um, and the church in Corinth began thinking about their bodies in the wrong way. This led to uh, all kinds of sexual immorality. But I think it's important as we think about gender identity to look at Paul's teaching on the body and how we're to view the body. So if you will, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we'll begin uh, reading in verse 12. We'll read verses 12 to 20. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. 
Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. This is the word of the Lord. So King Jesus, as we come to you this morning, we are asking uh, that you would guide us to your truth. Holy Spirit, we would pray that you would pour the love of the Father upon us. Holy Spirit, we would ask that you would convict us in all the ways in which we're thinking falsely about you, about God, about Jesus, about our bodies. And would you draw us to yourself? Lord, would you create in this people gathered here on the corner of 96 and 210 in the 21st century in Western Canada, would you make this little group of people a people of compassion? God, would you form us as a people of compassion? Holy Spirit, come. We love you, we trust you, and we dedicate these few minutes to you. Lead us to yourself. In your name, amen. All right, well, let's begin at looking at point one for today, the goodness in God's gift of the body. Now, we pick up with Paul, and Paul is doing something. Now, you'll see in your translations, in your Bibles, that there's like quotes, right? So, I have the right to do anything. So, what the scholars who translate the scriptures are saying is that what Paul is doing here is he's like quoting the church at Corinth. He, it's like he's saying like, yeah, you guys say this, but I've got some commentary on it. So, listen to what they say. It's like, I have the right to do anything, you say. But then Paul says, but not everything is beneficial. Those are his words, right? Not everything is beneficial. And they say it again. I have the right to do anything. And then Paul responds with, but I'll not be mastered by anything, right? You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. So what Paul's doing is he's describing the attitude that the church of Corinth has. And we'll say this a bit more in a moment. It's, a, it's an attitude influenced by Gnosticism. So it's, I can do anything I want with my body. It doesn't matter. Food is for the stomach. The stomach is for food. It's just a body. Chill out. What do, what do, I, do, what do I do with my body? It's not that important. It's just a body. God is going to destroy my body anyway, so who cares how I live in the body? Now, the deeper message that the church was believing was that all that really matters is my soul. Now, Christians, like, the soul is massively important. Like, it's really important, right? We care about the soul. But the soul is not all that matters because God has made us embodied souls. God has given us the gift of a good body. The soul is not all that matters, so we should care for our body and accept our body as a gift. So this is the thing that Paul's dealing with. Now, he's dealing with Gnosticism. So the, the, the Gnostic teaching is this, that the spirit is good, but the body is evil. The spirit is good, but the body is evil. 
And uh, soma in Greek is body, and sema in Greek is tomb. And so there would be like a little phrase that, that, that Gnostics would use, right? The soma is a sema, right? The body is just a tomb. And if you'll notice, in today's day, we have picked up some Gnostic tendencies, some Gnostic teachings. Our secular worldview seeks to do the same thing. Here it is. To separate the authentic me from my body. That, okay, so I've got a body, but really there's this authentic, true me that's hidden within this shell, this evil shell, right? Oliver O'Donovan writes this. He says, the transgender narrative suggests that the body is an accident that has befallen the real me. The real me has a true sex apart from the body. So our modern secular culture has adopted a kind of new Gnosticism. And on top of that, I'm not telling you anything new here, we are swimming in individualism. Individualism. As, as the late English philosopher John Stuart Mill, the, the founding father of modern Western liberalism, wrote, over himself, over his own body and mind, the individual is sovereign. Sovereign. Totally in charge. Now watch this. You take Gnosticism and individualism and you put them together. It's a powerful combination. Here's what you get. You get phrases like, the real me is not my body. The deeper inner me is my true self. I'm totally in charge of my own life. I, I can treat my body how I want to treat it. It's a, it's a powerful combination. So really, we're in the same place that the church in Corinth was 2,000 years ago. And our culture continues to ask, isn't my body just a shell? That's really not that important as the real inner me. So what harm is it in shaping my body to fit the real inner me? But listen to how Paul responds. He says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. It's attacking, you know, individualism there. You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your body. So you don't belong to yourself. If, if you're a follower of Jesus, we no longer belong to ourselves. Our body, our soul, all of us, our embodied soul belongs to God. He bought us. He purchased us. He ransomed us at the cross through his own blood. And your body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Like, where does God dwell? He dwells in us and in his body, the church. So honor God with the body he has given you. In Genesis 1, God made us male and female, and then God saw all that he, has, he had made, and it was very good. Genesis 1.31, male and female, very good in God's eyes. As we read the pages of scripture, we see a positive view that God has of the body, we looked at this last week, right? Like he created us, we're made in his image, we are his piece of art. Genesis 1:27. so God created mankind in his own image. Catch this, in the image of God, in the Latin, the imago Dei, right? The image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. North Langley, there's something about male and female together that reflects the image of God. 
And Isaiah 64, 8, yet you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. How beautiful is that? He's the potter. We're the clay. He's the one who shapes. He's the one who made you as a masterpiece, a piece of art. We're his pottery, his work of art. So the Bible gives us a beautiful view of the human body. The, bio, the body is a gift to us. Now, a question that comes up amongst Christians is this. What about Galatians 3, which says that in Christ there will be neither male nor female any longer? Doesn't Paul envision a time when sex differences will be done away with? It's a good question. And they get that question from Galatians chapter 3, which reads like this. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And here it is. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so the question is like, hey, maybe when we become Christians, God's doing away with gender. Right? Moving to a genderless time where there's no longer male and female and the binary nature that we see in Genesis. Now, I just want to say it's really important how we read the Bible and to understand the context of different verses and the arguments that the authors are making. And when we read the context and the argument that, that, that Paul is making to the church in Galatia, that we realize that is not at all the point that he's making. Um, this verse is not talking about God erasing gender one day. What this passage is saying is this, that these identities are not barriers to salvation. These are no longer barriers to salvation. There are Jew and Gentile, slaves and free people. There are male and female. But what Paul's saying is like, listen, because of the work of Jesus at the cross and resurrection, like anyone can come freely and receive the gift of grace and forgiveness. See, there was a teaching that, that Paul is attacking, saying you had to become a Jew before you could accept the salvation of Jesus, right? You had to be circumcised before that happened. And Paul's like, no, like you can come free. But here's the deal. Jesus is not erasing ethnic identities or gender identities at all. The point is not that God is getting rid of gender. The point here in Galatians 3 is that all are welcome to freely follow Jesus uh, by his grace and by faith. So hopefully that makes sense. So first, we see the goodness of God's gift of the body. Secondly, let's now talk about how to follow Jesus faithfully with our body. What does that look like? So just a reminder as we get into some of the weeds here and some complex things, just a reminder of Jesus' posture towards us who are his followers. It is one of compassion, absolute compassion. He loves you deeply and as we begin to follow Jesus, many of us who have walked with Jesus for a while know that there are times where Jesus is clear that he's calling us to think differently. He, he starts calling us to live differently. As we follow him, remember our lives are not our own, they belong to him. In his compassion, he will ask us to do some hard things at times. And, and why does he do it? Because he doesn't like us, because he hates us? Not at all. It's out of love for us that he calls us to live in a certain way. So how am I called to live? Well, in light of the scriptures that speak of God making two sexes, in light of the scriptures that speak of the binary nature of male and female in creation, then what happens when my mind begins to say that I'm not in the right body? Or when I feel trapped in the wrong body? Or I'm questioning my gender identity? What do I do? Well, here's the big question. 
Do I follow my own thinking and, and go with it? Or do I submit my thinking to the king, recognizing that it might be my very thinking and feeling that has got me to this place? Some of you um, have walked through addiction and you've been part of recovery uh, groups. And there's a phrase that some recovery groups use, which I actually think is really helpful. Your best thinking got you here. Your best thinking got you here. See, sometimes our thinking is flawed, right? Sometimes, sometimes like our best thinking, we can't trust it. In our day with gender identity, we, many of us have come to believe that our subjective feelings should win out over our objective reality. Meaning, our subjective feelings about who we think we are, the real inner me, should win out over the biological sex that God has given us as a gift. But is this really the best way to think about it? Now remember, like, hear me out. Remember the posture of Jesus is compassion. He loves us. But we need to question this line of thinking because these feelings are feelings nonetheless, right? Are we allowing subjective feelings about who we are to win out over an objective reality of the biological sex God has given us? Our best thinking got us here. So, when our feelings and our thoughts are considered more true than the bodies we've been given, um, where does that take us? Is that the kind of worldview that can be trusted? I'd, I'd like to share a couple examples of some times where we would never fall for that kind of thinking. I think all of us in the room would be in agreement that we would never fall for this line of thinking. So kind of two little case studies. Number one, I want to talk about anorexia. It was a couple years ago that, that I was able to preach on anorexia, and I, and I know that those of you in the room who have walked through anorexia, those of you who have had children or parents that have walked through anorexia, there's a deep pain there. But we know that when someone is struggling with anorexia, you know, the person sees themselves, what, what they see, what they feel, is that they are overweight. But there is a false messaging happening between the body and the mind. It's an unreal message. The, the mind is like it's at war with the body, right? With anorexia, what do we do? We encourage counseling. We, we, we're, we surround this person with our love and care. We encourage uh, them to get treatment, what to, to actually to eat, to, to, to get nutrition into their body. I was actually speaking to a doctor. I, I interviewed a doctor on this, and, and, and he told me, uh, he's here from Langley, and he just said, it's, it's medical malpractice for me to help someone get on a diet plan in order for this person to have the body they wish to see if they're struggling with anorexia. He's like, as a doctor, that's malpractice. I don't go with their feelings of what they think they see when they look in the mirror. I can't go with that. I'd be hurting the individual. What that person needs is nutrition. They need food. They need counseling. They need care, compassion, and so on. So really quick, we, we wouldn't go with subjective feelings, right? We would, we would try to care for them in a different way. We wouldn't follow their reasoning. Their best thinking got them there. A, a second example, it's a little bit more obscure, but some of you may know of body integrity dysphoria. You may have heard of this, where people are identifying as an amputee. Uh, they they self-identify as an amputee, 
And in their mind, they believe, and often it's, 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 uh, it's uh, the left side, limbs on the left side, so they'll feel like in order to fix the dysphoria in them, they need the doctor to remove their left arm or their left leg. Now, the left arm or the left leg are completely healthy. So a doctor's in a tough spot. Like, okay, you have a dysphoria, you believe your identity is an amputee, and so I'm called to remove a limb, a healthy limb? No. He says, the doctor said to me, he just said, we would never do that. We would never remove a healthy limb in order to heal the dysphoria inside a patient. So in both of these cases, with anorexia and body integrity dysphoria, we tried, he, says, he said to me, he says, we try to treat the confusion of the mind, um, but we never change the body, right, and go with what the patient wishes, never. And so this is the kind of thing we need to be thinking about when it comes to gender identity and gender dysphoria. So no matter how hard a follower of Jesus, a disciple, when confronted with confusion of gender identity, we're called to lay our thoughts down, to trust that the king, the creator, gave us this body that we're called to steward for his glory. Okay, and, and I want to talk about uh, children for a moment. This is, this is what we must do with our kids. Our kids have questions at times. They are questioning their gender at times. Our kids sometimes walk through depression because they feel like they're trapped in the wrong body. Again, what do we do? Compassion, compassion. We listen to them, we love them, we care for them, we walk with them. Christian parents, we drop on our knees and we pray for our children, knowing that the Spirit of God is powerfully at work in their lives. But God has given us as parents the primary role of making decisions for them that lead them to the life God has for them. That the government is not the one primarily in charge of our ch kids' lives. We've been given that. We've been given that primary role to love our kids. We recognize as Christians that not every child has a loving family. So there is a part that the government plays in helping with that. And that's a tricky thing. I wanna let you know, uh, pause on a very intense moment, uh, just to let you know, there was way too much to say in this sermon. <laughs> so tomorrow morning, uh, Corey, our worship pastor and I are recording a podcast where I'm gonna probably just jabber for like an hour on stuff that I, that, that I wasn't able to include here. Because there's, there's questions about philosophical questions, uh, questions about politics, things like that. And so we're gonna record a little podcast. So when you go online to, if you, Maybe you're like, Matthew, it was plenty to hear you on Sunday. I do not need to hear you anymore. I just, you know, I know, I know, I, I sometimes worry. But I, I had a lot more to say. So anyway, I uh, can't say it now. Um, but there will be a little link to a podcast if you want to keep the conversation going. And if you're interested. And if no one listens, that's fine. Corey and I will have had a good conversation. Okay. Anyway, but, you know, there's this thing about the government and families and so on and so forth. But I'll save that for another moment. But you need to know this. As we love our children, in 84% of children, the gender dysphoria desisted. Meaning this. In 84% of kids who experienced gender dysphoria, by the time they went through puberty and became adults, the dysphoria went away. The Journal of the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry did a comprehensive review of a variety of studies and found that for 84% of the children, the gender dysphoria went away, it desisted. That's a, that's a high number, right? It's a very high number. And the question is, how are we as parents leading our children to recognize that for 84% of kids, these feelings will just naturally vanish? Now, not, not for all kids, right? Um, as we heard last week with Andy and as we're going to hear with Kyla, that, that sometimes these feelings continue on in adulthood. But yet today it's easy for children, from those that love them in life, 
to be encouraged to take puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones. But did you know that puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones can make a young person sterile? It can sterilize them for life. It's not just the surgeries. Sometimes we think it's just the surgeries. But ongoing on these puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones, you can sterilize a teenager for life. Simply being on the medication can make a decision for a child that will alter the rest of their life. As a, teenager, as a teenager, can you imagine making the decision to not have children? Are, is that teenager aware of the impact of this? Are we aware as parents that there are studies that suggest that bone density and healthy growth of a child are greatly impacted by just puberty blockers? And puberty blockers, just so you know, in the conversation, are like the, oh, those are fine, like they're not gonna, they're not gonna harm the child, it's easily reversible. Um, that's not necessarily true. If you look at the science, it, it, can, it can really affect a child. Are we aware that teenagers as young as 18, sometimes younger, based on a recommendation, are given surgeries that are final and irreversible? The removing of a uterus, breasts, or genitalia. Those are big decisions. The American College of Pediatricians, a socially conservative group of pediatricians, says this, young children are being permanently sterilized and surgically maimed under the guise of treating a condition that would otherwise resolve in over 80% of them. This is criminal. It's a pretty strong statement, but these are pediatricians, and they're worried, right? To make things more complicated, as parents, we need to be aware of a phenomena called rapid onset gender dysphoria. I'm not sure if you've heard of that, but a 2018 study from Brown University in Rhode Island described large groups of teenage girls that are suddenly experiencing dysphoria in the same peer group. This is interesting, right? So these are not like kids when they're four, five, six experiencing this. This is all of a sudden 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old girls are suddenly coming out as transgender together. Um, and this is happening through a combination of peer pressure and the influence of social media. Now, we're not trying to say they're making this up, not at all. They're actually going through gender dysphoria. Like, they, they, there's a confusion there. Uh, Transformed from the UK says this, some professionals have noted a new presentation of gender dysphoria, which appears after the start of puberty with no previous indication of gender confusion or unhappiness. This recent development has been termed rapid onset gender dysphoria, and it affects mostly teenage girls. This is a new and contested area, but one study indicates a high incidence of internet and peer group influence where a number of teenage girls within a friendship group come out together as transgender. Now the question we need to be asking as parents of our own children is why would we treat these teenage girls with a medication and surgery when this could simply be a passing fad? No doubt that they are walking through dysphoria. Like no doubt, that's not trying to say that, that they're not and that these are confusing times and that there can be things like depression or anxiety that are part of this. But when your child has grown up for most of their life and then when they're a teenager in the same group of girls, all of them coming out as transgender, we need to ask ourselves some serious questions. When I was 18, I had a hard time figuring out what college to go to. I can't imagine making these kind of decisions as a teenager that could leave a teenager permanently sterile. One doctor I spoke to here in Langley said this, we're experimenting on children with their confused thinking. We're, it's, it's the Wild West, like we're experimenting on children. So parents, let's talk with our kids, let's walk with our kids, let's be patient with our kids, let's pray for our kids, but let's not make decisions for them that could alter the rest of their lives.
So really quick, just a quick recap from last week that I think is important when we talk to our children. Remember, the Bible has a very generous understanding of what it means to be a man and a woman. The Bible is not stuck in those 1950s stereotypes of male and female. Remember Preston Sprinkle? I'll give you a shorter quote of his, but it says this. Um, Preston Sprinkle asked, was David being a man when he was killing Goliath or when he was playing his harp and writing poetry while his brothers were off at war? Was Jesus being masculine when he cried over Jerusalem and said he wanted to gather his people as a mother hen gathers her chicks? Or was he only being manly when he turned over the tables in the temple? I think our kids should know that the Bible's generous with what it means to be a man and a woman. If my son who grows up loves poetry, Right? If he loves musical theater, if he loves to bake, I can still say to him, God gave you this male body and he wants you to live as a boy. But enjoy the poetry. That's beautiful, right? You don't have to start thinking that you're a different gender just to enjoy some of those things. And in the same way um, with girls as well. You know, the, the, the phrase tomboy used, so if a girl wants to play sports or do it, things that we think are typically male, um, Sports is not a good example. Anyway, I'm running. I don't have a good example. Anyway, girls are awesome at sports. Woohoo! Um, it's really good. <laughs> That's not a male thing. No emails. Um, <laughs> not at all. Whoops. Anyway, you get my point. I think, I hope. Um, so, this is something we can encourage our children with. And actually, if you think about it, it could lead to greater diversity, right? It's, it's saying, hey, you don't need to change your gender. You just realize that. That, that this is the way boys can be interested in these things, girls can be interested in these things. It can lead to a greater um, diversity, actually. So to summarize, to follow Jesus faithfully with our body is to submit our thinking to the king. To follow Jesus faithfully is to recognize that sometimes our best thinking gets us into these places and to thank him for the body that he's given us as a gift. That's, that's a big deal. Okay, so final thing here. Let's practice the compassion of Jesus in his body. That's us. We're the church, his body. So when it comes to being a church of compassion, I would like to say it, we want to be an oasis and not a battlefield. An oasis, but not a battlefield. Um, when it comes to a battlefield, there are two armies ready to march against one another in a culture war. Okay? That's what a battlefield is. We're going to have a culture war. It's the church against the secular culture. And um, that's not a great idea. Uh, secondly, the, I, I, would, I would love to propose the idea of, of, of an oasis, to be a people of care, compassion, and the truth of Jesus in a world that is parched for the living water. That's the Holy Spirit. You know, just imagine there's just a sense of thirst that's being created in secularism, a thirst that could they find the living water, he, the Holy Spirit, the one who, who just fills us with the love of God? Could we be an oasis in a culture that is parched for living water. By the way, when it comes to a battlefield, I get it. Um, I get that when it comes to prayer. Do we battle the powers and principalities on our knees in prayer? You bet. If you're talking about that kind of battle, absolutely. We drop to our knees and we pray, right? But not a battle when it comes to a culture war. Um, there's a better way. So how do we live this oasis-type experience? To be a people of compassion, to say, hey, to the trans community, come, come, come get to know Jesus. Come be part of our family here. Uh, Mark Yarhouse, who works with those with gender dysphoria, he describes like an iceberg. He says, oftentimes, we only, you know, we only see 10% above the water, but there's 90% of the iceberg under the water. He says, that's the way it is with the trans community. Sometimes we, we, we're, we overreact to what's on the surface. 
If we meet someone who is fully transitioned in the trans community, we, we overreact to how they're dressing. And, and it's kind of like, whoa, we don't know how to process that. But there's 90% of this person's life that we can get to know. Get to know them as a neighbor, as their relationship with Jesus, their family, their story, what, what their loves, their gifts, their life. There's like 90% uh, more to know about someone um, than just how they dress or how they appear. And so let's not overreact to the 10% on the surface. The trans community is asking, would I be loved if I came to North Langley Community Church? Would I be welcomed in this place? Would I be accepted if I was honest about my gender dysphoria? There could be someone in your own life group that experiences gender dysphoria. Would they be, would they be welcomed if they were honest about the dysphoria that they feel? Will our church create a space for people to wrestle with this in the long run? To say, listen, I'm glad you're here. There is nowhere else I'd want you to be. Keep coming, keep, keep being part of our family. And we need to take the long road on this. This is an encouragement for us to take the long road. Are we willing to walk through complicated, messy years with our brothers and sisters through this? Are we willing to? Are we focused primarily on a person encountering Jesus first? That's the first thing. In what ways do we try to get someone to change their lifestyle, quote unquote, before they encounter Jesus? That's not the right order. First, someone encounters the love of Jesus, and then slowly the Holy Spirit works in that person's life. Are we okay if that process of the Holy Spirit working in someone's life, it's a process we call sanctification, are we okay if that is messier sometimes or slower than we would like? You know what I love? I love it when we pray and the Holy Spirit instantly heals people. I love it when we pray and the Spirit instantly does it. I love that, right? But sometimes we pray and God likes to take the slow, long journey. And sometimes we're like, well, it must be that the Spirit's not working. It's like, really? Or are you impatient? Maybe you're impatient. Yeah. Maybe you need to learn some patience and go, the Spirit is working. It's just not the way you want to see it happen. Prayer is powerful, and we just work slowly and allow the Spirit to work in someone's life. Mark Yarhouse says this. He says, ministry doesn't skim the surface. I love that. Ministry doesn't skim the surface. Let's not be okay with pat answers. Let's invite people into deep relationships of love. Andrew Walker says this, though it may bring, a, bring new conversations and experiences, many of us will not understand. Ministry to those with gender dysphoria means walking with each, other, we each precious soul through what could be years of psychological valleys. Only Christians humble enough to recognize their own brokenness will be capable of walking with people through struggles that seem very different from their own. Let's be an oasis together. Hey, I'd love to invite up my friend Kyla to come share her story. Uh, could you welcome her on stage? <laughs> Kyla is the best. And uh, I have, I have, her crew's right here. Yeah. <laughs> I have learned so much uh, through Kyla and her story. And I've been blessed already today as you've shared this twice. So here to share it for the third time. Can I pray? Okay, dear Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the work you've done in Kyla's life. As she shares, fill her with a great boldness and a great peace. Lord, we just thank you for what you've done, and we love you, and just pray that you would work in the room as she shares her story. Amen. Amen. All right. Good morning. Hi, my name is Kyla. I grew up on Vancouver Island. I'm 39 years old. I was raised in a Christian home where as early as I can remember, I, believe, I loved Jesus. 
When I was about five years old, I started to notice I felt different from most other little girls. I was born female, however, I wanted to be like other boys. As I started to get older, I really didn't want to do the same things as girls were doing and wished I was like my brother, my cousin, and all the other boys around me. In my teens when I was, uh, is when I really started to notice a big difference and it became a lot more difficult for me. I didn't understand what I was going through and I didn't know how to tell anyone. I remember being attracted to other girls in youth group and at school. I felt a lot of shame for being attracted to the same sex. I knew that I loved God, but I didn't know what to do about all of this. I would lie in bed at night and cry out to God and ask him to take my, these feelings away, but he wouldn't end up taking them away. Actually, it would get even harder as I got older. At the age of 14, my parents got divorced, and this was a really difficult time for me. I loved both of them, but I had to choose who I was going to live with. I, at this point, I felt broken inside, and not knowing who to choose, I chose my mom. I lived with her most of the time, and I went to my dad's on weekends. A few years after this, they both got remarried. My mom remarried an uh, unbeliever, and my dad married a, a woman with five kids. I started to feel unwanted at my dad's, and I slowly stopped going there. I had become a very angry and hurt teenager. As I got older, the anger and the feelings of abandonment from my dad would fuel a lot of the choices that I would make later on in my life. Hockey became my passion and my focus, and at the age of 19, just after graduating, I pursued my passion and moved to Calgary to train at a national level. Moving away from home, I was still struggling with my gender identity and my, my, sexu sorry, my sexuality, and I felt alone. I knew I wanted to follow Jesus, but I felt torn and broken. Women started to tell me I was gay and that I just didn't know it yet. I felt a lot of pressure to be gay, as this was something that I struggled with all my life, and I felt very weak. They would find me attractive, and I tried to fight the temptations, but I gave up. Looking back, I can see a broken heart longing to be loved and accepted. When I was a teenager in high school, it was really easy for me to say no to drinking and partying. Looking back, I believe it was God keeping me from something I couldn't even see. At the age of 19, I took my first drink. I blacked out, and from there was 11 years of living as an alcoholic. I was so broken and lost. My life was a mess, and I hurt so many people. I finally came to a place of surrender. Going back just a little bit, because of my drinking, I also gave up on fighting same-sex attraction, and I came out as gay when I was 23. This was a struggle for me in my life because deep down I knew that I wasn't following Jesus anymore. I felt that I had to give up Jesus to have this other life that was so far apart from him. I drank to numb myself and continued in that life. In 2011, I went into a recovery house and it was a Christian home. It was mandatory to go to God Rock, which is my church today. I was still struggling with same-sex attraction, and I got into a same-sex relationship early in recovery. At this point in my life, God was pursuing me, but I was unwilling to surrender all my life 
and completely give it to him. My dysphoria and my gender identity had gotten so bad those five years, and I couldn't see clearly who I was anymore. I felt trapped in the wrong body. In 2011, I decided to transition from female to male. I was so tired of feeling different, feeling stuck, misgendered, and ultimately, I felt misunderstood my whole life. The, feeling I the feelings I had were so real and so overwhelming. I literally felt that God had made a mistake and I was born in the wrong body. Dysphoria took on this form of anxiety that held me captive and isolated me from the world. I was in misery. This led me to a place of depression and wanting to die. How could this be? I felt guilt and shame for a life of gender confusion and sexual, uh, same-sex attraction. I felt judged. I wanted to follow Jesus, but I couldn't be gay or transgender. I felt like I had no other choice. I had no other option. So I made up my mind. I was going to do whatever it took to change everything. I transitioned to Bryson Male. I knew other people who had transitioned. I started the process. I was put on testosterone, and within a few years, I had some surgeries. I finally passed as male and was feeling a lot better, so I thought. I actually felt more stuck, more broken, and more lost. I thought maybe after this next surgery, I would feel complete, but this never came. My dysphoria was better, however, I was spiraling into a deep, dark depression. Depression is a huge part of my story. So new people had come in and taken over leadership at God Rock, and I started to get to know them. They were becoming my friends. I had such a deep, dark secret, and I felt I could never tell them. Not a lot of people knew after years of living out my transition that I was born female at all. At this point, I could choose whether or not I would reveal this to someone. Mostly out of fear, guilt, and shame, I stayed silent to everyone who is a Christian. Walking with these people, they showed me love and compassion. They showed me a, a glimpse of Jesus himself. I fell deeply in love with Jesus again. I wanted to share my story and be fully known. When I did, they loved me even harder. We sat and we said that we would walk it out together, always putting Jesus first and having the authority of the Bible as what would guide us in following Jesus. I wasn't ever considering going back to female, detransitioning. I had already, I already had been living as male for more than five years, and I believed there was no way to turn back from all that I had changed, all the surgeries, the hormones would never allow me to be who I once was, female. I felt that I was too far gone for God to ever reach me. Not long after this, I remember one day so clearly falling on my knees and crying out to God for help. Six years of living a gender he did not create me to be. I asked him, how could I follow you? What do you want from me? In that moment, I was unsure if I died that very second, if I would have been with him forever, and this killed me inside. I heard him speak to me on my bedroom floor just over two years ago very clearly. My child, my daughter, Kyla, I created you beautifully and wonderfully. I designed you with purposes and plans. I predestined you before the foundation of this world. No matter how, far, how much you have tried to change or run from me, I have always been right beside you. I was a mess on the floor, and I asked him, 
what do you want me to do? And he answered me, return to me, Kyla. I asked, can't I stay as Bryson, as male, and follow you? And he said, no. I said, but God, I don't know what this would look like or if I would ever be female again. And he said, trust me, and whatever that looks like, are you willing? And I cried out, yes. I decided to detransition from male to female to live in obedience to God. It has been just over two years now since I detransitioned. The past two years have been some of the most painful years of my life, but they have, always, they have also been some of the most amazing years. I've never felt closer to Jesus, more filled with the Spirit, following his plan for my life as I pour it out for him each day. I am far from perfect most days, but I choose to live out my life in obedience to who God says I am, whatever that looks like. Even in the struggles and the hard times, he is faithful. He is enough. God has become my greatest treasure. He is the one who I find my identity in. He is the one who loves me more than I could have ever imagined. He saved my life. He redeemed me. He set me free from the chains and the bondages. He is a God of restoration, of hope, mercy, and grace. I detransitioned in 2017 and now live my life out as Kyla Grace Gillespie, female, who I was meant to be. Same-sex attraction and gender dysphoria are just part of my life and my, are still part of my life and struggles. I don't know if this side of heaven, these feelings, experiences, or struggles will ever be completely removed. However, as I cling to who God says I am in his word, he speaks his identity over my life, which allows me freedom to be exactly who he created me to be. The power of Jesus who raised Christ from the dead, that same spirit that lives in every, inside every believer, that power frees me from the power of death. He saved my soul. I knew deep down for those six years that I wasn't cr created to carry the weight of a man in this world. My soul knew it very well. I thank Jesus for saving me and for loving me so much that he died on the cross for all my sins. You literally left the 99 and you saved me. As I look back and think of some scripture that I cling to in my life today, Ephesians 2.10 we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Isaiah 64, verse 8. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hands. And Psalm 139, verse 13 to 14. You have formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. I didn't need a bunch of people to tell me I was wrong, to judge me or condemn me. The Spirit revealed things to me and showed me I was living apart from God's will and plans for my life. What I needed more than anything were people who loved me more than Je uh, loved Jesus more than themselves and who could walk me through what it means to be a disciple and apprentice of Jesus. They loved me enough to want to hear my story and to know me. They showed me the greatest gift that any follower of Christ can. They showed me Christ himself living and working in them. Thank you.
Thank you. Kyla, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing that. And this is your third time to share it. And Kyla still has to do this one more time tonight uh, at our 5 p.m. So yeah, if there's anyone that you, you know that you can invite tonight to come hear her story at 5, that'd be wonderful. So thank you, Kyla. Just a couple quick questions. Um, you mentioned being a follower of Jesus, a disciple, um, an apprentice of Jesus. And so what, what does that look like for you day to day to follow him? For me, I literally have to fall on my knees each day and ask the Holy Spirit, ask God to uh, give me the strength enough. And he does, he promises us enough mercy for today to get through whatever trial, whatever temptations, whatever, fill in the blank what you're struggling with. He says, I'm enough for you. Mm -hmm. And then to be saturated in the word for me has uh, renewed my mind. It has transformed me in a way that I can't even explain. And I'm so grateful. Even um, just walking with my family, we need to walk in community. We need to know each other and we need to, uh, you know, pray and love each other well. Absolutely. And Kyla, if you can just picture maybe yourself 10 years ago, um, going through the dysphoria that you're we walking through, and there's someone here today um, that is just kind of secretly, quietly walking through the same thing. What would you say to them today? Um, I would say you're loved, you're valued, you were created just perfectly the way God created you. You are an image bearer of the most high God. He doesn't make mistakes. And what I would say is that if you want that power, if something's stirring in you today and you want that power, you can have it. Jesus died on the cross for us and he gave us the power over sin, Satan, and death. And uh, so I would just encourage you that anything's possible through Jesus. So good. Thank you. Thank you so much. Let's thank her again. Let's stand together as a church. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And if you have given your life to Jesus, uh, or even if you're brand new, but you want to open up your hands and surrender your life to him again, would you hold out your hands in prayer? And you can keep your eyes open as we read uh, Galatians uh, chapter 2 together. Let's read this out together as a church. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen.